program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the author of a new book called The Cat I Never Named, which is a... uh, young adult memoir of a Muslim teen struggling to survive in the midst of the Bosnian genocide. Um, her name is Amra Sabish El Reyes, and she joins me uh, now by phone. Amra, welcome to the show, and I hope I didn't mangle your name too badly. Thank you for having me, and I would say you get an A-plus in pronunciation of my name. That's pretty close to perfect. <laughs> well, thank you for that, but I, I'm terrible with names, so I, I always end up uh, apologizing. Um, but uh, but but let's let's get into this. Um, this is pretty heavy stuff. Why? First of all, what would make you want to share? that kind of an experience actually i've got three parts to this question what would make you write a memoir about something that was such an intense experience and two um why direct it to a young audience and three um what's with the cat i never named um, That gives us enough material to talk for a few hours. Um, But I'm going. (laughs) But I'm going to start by saying that um, uh, first of all, I was 16 when the war started in Bosnia, and then spent uh, almost four years 
living through genocide um, simply because I was a Bosnian Muslim. Um, I lived under constant bombing, besieged by the Serb military. Um, what is what is that, um, Amra? What does that mean, Bosnian Muslim? Uh, Bosnian Muslims are an ethnic group um, uh, called Bosniaks that have um, existed for centuries um, in the Balkans. And um, though we were, in terms of numbers, the majority in Bosnia and Herzegovina, which was part of uh, Yugoslavia um, as one country at some point, uh, we were discriminated as a group. And so um, the parallel to the U.S. environment would be the experience of segregation and exclusion of uh, uh, black individuals um, through institutional institutionalized racism. So Bosnian Muslims, uh, for instance, uh, were not allowed to call themselves Bosniaks. I, as a Bosnian um, uh, child, um, a student uh, prior to the war in the educational system, um, I was discriminated against, and I um, recount some of those experiences. And that happened even though I was one of the top students in math and physics and later won some national competitions in, in the entire Bosnia. Um, but I grew up never once reading a story uh, about a Bosnian Muslim girl, um, and I never solved a math problem uh, with a Muslim a girl or a boy or a child um, in it, and that really reflects the sort of the treatment that Bosnian Muslims had in former Yugoslavia that then eventually led into genocide. And you mentioned um, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Is there any difference there? In terms of Geographically, um, it is just simply two two regions that are part of one country. So uh, Bosnia is is one area regionally, and Herzegovina is another region, uh, but together um, they are one country. So there's no really um, difference per se in terms of uh, uh, certainly was not before the war in terms of demographics or um, uh, uh, any other element. Um, to composition of the population, um, but it was one country as a whole uh, prior to the war. And certainly uh, that story got complicated during the war because of ethnic cleansing and genocide, and uh, the country remains divided in a different way um, today as a consequence of that. And, and when you talk about Bosnian genocide, what exactly Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Bickersons. (laughs) The Bickersons have retired. As usual, Mrs. Bickerson tosses restlessly while her husband, John Insomniac Extraordinary, provides this audible testimony of his constant wakefulness. Let's listen. the love of heaven, what is he doing? John. John! John! Hmm? What's the matter with you? 
Hmm? You are making the most frightful noises. What's the matter? What's the matter, Blanche? Are you in pain? I've got a terrible headache. Haven't slept a wink. You've been sleeping like a felled ox. Shh. Head aches. You wouldn't have such a headache if you didn't make so many cocktails before dinner. Why do you do that, John? Always do it. Why? No good to eat on an empty stomach. Put out the lights, Blanche. The lights are out. How would you know anyway with that sleep shade on? Well, something's flashing in my head. Ow! Take an aspirin. Okay. Hmm, feel better already. How can you chew those things like that? Wash it down with something. All right. <sighs> John Bickerson, you washed it down with bourbon. You lied to me. You got the lights on. Yes, I'm going to keep them on. Sit up. I want to talk to you. Please, Blanche, I can't sit up. My head will fall off. Why do you always have to talk in the middle of the night? When else can I talk to you? You come home for dinner and bury your head in the paper. Never a word out of you. And you tell me you've got to go to bed early because you have insomnia. Well, I have. It takes me hours to fall asleep. It took you all of 30 seconds tonight. Well, this was a good night. Good night. John. John. I went over to see the Marvin's new baby this afternoon. It's a beautiful child. Do you know their first one is over a year old? I hope so. He's been walking since he was eight months. He must be awful tired. I am too. Children are such a blessing. Mm. It's wonderful to watch them grow up. You'd be surprised how many childless couples are adopting children. I'd better have another aspirin. Boy, have I got a headache. Mm. John, Hmm? don't you miss the patter of tiny feet around the house? No, I don't, Blanche. Children are wonderful, all right, but you have to be able to afford them. All this talk of adopting. What the devil is that? What's what? That. Put the lights on. John. Blanche, don't tell me that you went out and... It's only a dog, silly. A dog? What do we need dogs for? I got a little puppy. Where's the aspirin? What did you get a dog for? Now, don't get hysterical. Where is the little beast? I can hear it, but I can't see it. He's right there, in the bureau. I've got him in your shirt drawer. You put him in there with my shirts? He won't suffocate. The drawer's open. Blanche, you know I'm allergic to dog hair. It gives me sinus trouble. Where's the aspirin? You are just a big hypochondriac. You imagine those allergies like you do your insomnia. I tell you, I'm allergic to dogs. They make me... make me... Get rid of that thing. He'll whine all night and keep me awake. The man said he'll keep quiet if you give him one of those worm pills. Well, where are they? On the night table by your bed. How do you give a dog? Where? They're on the night table by your bed. There's nothing here except the aspirins. The aspirins are in the medicine cabinet. How can they be in the... Blanche, what have I been eating? No wonder my headache won't go away. Why do you do these things to me? Send for a doctor. Don't carry on so. If they're good for a dog, they won't hurt you. Go to sleep. Go to sleep, she tells me. Here I am dying from dog poisoning. My my head is splitting. She knows I'm allergic to dogs, hides the aspirin, and makes... I don't know. Get up so early, never get another wink of sleep as... As long as... John. John. Hmm? tight. Thanks. I can see how much sleep I'm going to get tonight. We'll have to get rid of the puppy. Now you're talking. I want you to take him down to the dog pound. 
Okay, I'll do it on my way to work. You go in the opposite direction. Well, I'll go out of my way. You say it, but you won't do it. You better take a nap. What? Go on, get up, take the puppy to the dog pound. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's after two in the morning. They're open all night. Go on, get up and take him. Well, I've never heard of such a thing. You know I went to bed with a splitting headache and had to take a dozen worm pills to fall asleep. You'd take the dog to the pound quick enough if Gloria Gooseby asked you to. How do you always manage to work the conversation around a Gloria Gooseby? Well, if you wouldn't shout so much, maybe the puppy would be able to sleep. Ah, what's the use? Good night. I thought it would be nice to have a little dog, especially when we move into our new apartment. Still have a year to go on this one. Our lease expired on Friday. I renewed it yesterday. I canceled it this morning. Amos is raffling off the apartment for me. That's a good idea. Amos is what? Amos sold 500 tickets at $2 a piece, and the winner moves into our apartment tomorrow. Oh, Blanche, no. I... I don't believe it. We'll be on the street. Amos said he'll find us a new place in a jiffy. Jiffy? Haven't you heard there's a housing shortage? Where would he find a place? Well, I bought a ticket myself. It's a wonderful chance. Lovely three-room apartment, large kitchen, big closets. It's worth $2, and we might get it. Get it? We've got it now. I know. But even if we didn't win, we get the $1,000 Amos collected for the rest of the tickets. Look, Blanche, I gave the landlord a $1,200 bonus to renew the lease. So now I'm out $200 and I've got no place to live. Sounds like pretty poor business to me. Why do you make such deals? Now look, Blanche... The trouble with you, John, is that you are too conservative. Look, Blanche... If you'd pick up some of the deals that Amos has, we might be able to live as nicely as he does. Blanche... He's been living at the Biltmore Hotel for a year. He sleeps on a billiard table. Look out. Where, where's my slippers? What are you going to do? Let me get to that phone. I'll show... Ow! Ooh! Ooh! Put on the lights. The lights are on. Open your eyes. Oh. Here's, here's the phone. I know it's going to ring, and I want to be ready when it does. Hello? Excuse me. Drop dead. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That wasn't Amos. I'll get it. I'll get it. Amos. Hi, Jacko. What are you doing up this time of night? Packing, Amos. We're moving, haven't you heard? Why aren't you going to invite me in? I'd like to look the place over. You mean... Yep, I won the raffle. Darndest luck I ever saw. Who drew the ticket, Amos? Fair and square. I wouldn't take a chance having some phony draw it, so I drew it myself. What a coincidence. Get out of here. What's the matter with you, Jacko? You got a thousand dollars coming. And if you're worried about a place to live, I'll rent you the garage. You haven't got a car anymore, you know. Get out of here before I hit you with a cleaver. Okay, Jacko. You don't have to get sore. You better give the money back to people you sold tickets to, or you'll have a lot of explaining to do. Not me, brother. You'll have to do the explaining. I'll tell them you won. Good night, Jacko. That guy will wind up on a chain gang as sure as... Was it Amos who won? I did. Now at last I can go to sleep in my own bed without worrying. No, you can't, dear. The dog's in there. But, oh, nuts. I'll sleep in the garage. Good night, John.
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives, but we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19, where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through Program.com. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with Amra Sabish El Reyes, the author of The Cat I Never Named, straight ahead. And then you emigrated to the U.S. in 1996. And and how old were you then? Um, so in 1996, I was uh, 20 years old, um, and I will share a moment um, of when I entered um, the United States uh, with you because it really gets to the first question that you asked, what was uh, one of the reasons that I decided to share this story and, and, and share it now. Um, I uh, was 16 when the war started, I was 20 when it ended, and by that time, I was really a broken person. I was a young woman whose dreams were stolen, whose um, uh, worst nightmares become became reality. Prior to the war, I was a volleyball player. I um, uh, loved math and physics. I loved writing. I had lots of friends. I was about to fall in love with the boy. And then came starving and persecution and, and loss of life. Um, and um, standing in the immigration line uh, was extremely emotional. I felt that I was going to be rejected by America, that America could not possibly want someone like me. Um, and um, I had my uh, broken English at that time. I studied and learned English on my own during the war. I had few dollars in my pocket and um, a lot of fear. I was afraid of the immigration officers because men in uniforms, to me at the time, meant rape and killing. And so when it was my turn to be interviewed by the immigration officer, he was examining my paperwork and passport for a long time. I was shaking and sweating and uh, nearly passed out. And then he reached out with his hand, handed me the passport, and he said, welcome to the United States of America, ma'am. Um, I am sorry for what happened to you. You are safe now. How did how did your experience emigrating to the U.S. Um, how, how does it affect you now when you see all of the the politics and the acrimony surrounding immigration in in recent years? That's an excellent question, and really relates to. Um, uh, the rationale why I wrote this book for young adults and um, relates to my own experience as an American, as a first-generation immigrant, as a genocide survivor, but also as a parent. A um, couple of years ago, um, my younger daughter, Dina, was in third grade at the time. She came back home from school, and she um, uh, asked me, um, uh, Mom, what will happen to me and Jana, her older sister, if you and Dad are rounded up and taken away as Muslims or immigrants? And it was really that question that jolted me, that made me feel 
that I was in a way abdicating my own responsibility as a genocide survivor to speak out um, and counter hate and to use my story as an educational platform to warn America where we could end up if we opt for hate. Um, so it was that moment of realizing that my child, born and raised and educated in New York City, uh, would be afraid of what may happen to her one day simply for who she is. And I know that there are teens and adults out there that feel uncertain about future um, and what um, uh, what America may may become in the coming years. And my hope is that the stories um, that I share in this book inspire the kind of America that I met when I entered the United States for the first time, the kind of America that welcomed me and gave me an opportunity to not only overcome genocide, but become who I always wanted to become but couldn't because of the violence and the hatred I experienced. Spoken like a true educator, Amra, and I didn't mention when I introduced you that you are a uh, professor at Columbia, You, um, where you had gotten two master's degrees and a doctorate after uh, earning a B.A. in economics from Brown University. Um, that could not have been easy to afford, to, to manage. Um, how, how did you do it? Um, I always believed in education, and um, I think that theme um, comes through very strongly um, in The Cat I Never Named. And um, I didn't know that during the war when I um, decided that I would better myself, that I couldn't control the external forces in the same way that we can't control social unrest or the pandemic um, as individuals, um, I was aware that I couldn't end genocide. I couldn't stop people from hating me in the way that they did. But I could always do something about who I was internally and um, control what was in uh, uh, my control as an individual. And that was really to improve who I was and become the best version of myself, not for someone else to accept me, to to love me, to stop hating me or stop killing me, but to be the best human being that I can be and for that to be a way in which I counter hatred. And that is when I um, decided to um, educate myself. I couldn't go to school in the same way that many teens and children um, have a problem uh, with um, access to school now because of the pandemic. And um, I taught myself English. I um, decided to uh, master many mathematics in, in physics textbooks that then led to me winning math and physics competitions at the national level and eventually led to uh, me earning a scholarship to come to the United States. Um, so education has always been my savior and my way to counter hatred. And I would just uh, share one detail that happened during the war um, that reiterates the importance of education um, that I think it, education has in countering hatred. And that was a moment when uh, my father thought that we would be executed and killed in the midst of the war. We were watching the Serb military come down the hill across uh, my neighborhood, and 
burning, uh, they were burning houses and everything down. Um, and my father turned to me and he said something that I think no father of a 16-year-old girl ever wants to uh, share with their daughter. He said, Amra, I'm no longer able to protect you, and we may all be killed, and you may be raped. But if you survive, there's one thing that no one can ever take away from you, and that is your education. And through all of that, there's a stray cat who protected your family. And and it's the, the book is named for this cat that apparently never got a name. It seems like the cat deserves a name, Amra. <laughs> that um, is absolutely uh, correct, um, and I agree with you. But the the reason for the title was um, to really um, uh, illustrate the intensity of the experience um, that genocide introduced into our lives and this mere survival and struggle to survive, that through it all we actually never gave Kitty a proper name. Mati means Kitty in Bosnian, so we simply called her Kitty. And just to uh, share one detail with you, I met Mati um, in a very uh, uh, difficult moment when the war is about to start um, in Bosnia when uh, Muslim refugees were coming into my city. And um, I don't know for sure, but I think that uh, Mati lost her family in that mm. process. And she attached her herself to um, our family. And to be honest, we didn't want to have a pet at that time. We didn't think we could feed another living being. Um, I was scared of anything with claws. I was attacked by a German shepherd when I was little. My mom um, didn't want another responsibility as the war is about to start. But Mati didn't care. She adopted herself. She found her way into her heart. And <laughs> on the very first... <laughs> as cats very, do, Amra. Yeah, they They do. And um, But what was incredible about her and the message that I think this book delivers is that sometimes in the most unexpected ways we encountered other living beings who end up being our saviors. And that is what Mati was for me. Um, there would be no the cat I never named if Mati didn't save um my brother Dino, younger brother, and me on the very first day of bombing of my city in June of 1992 when four of our friends were blown up, but we lived because of Mati. And that scene is sort of reflective of many moments throughout the war where Mati makes a difference in my survival. Um, so I do wish to honor her with this story, but also send the message that sometimes... Um, we are not inclined to accept people uh, or living beings, but then learn once we get to know them that they could be our saviors. How difficult was it to relive the things that happened there those years ago in writing this book, or was it therapeutic in some way? It actually was. Um, I have to admit that the reason why I didn't write this story earlier, and um, my students often at Columbia, when I would mention a particular story to make a point in any of my classes, or courses that I teach on social transformations or 
even research methods. Um, and I would share a moving example. They would say, Professor Amra, you should write your story as a book. And um, I was not inclined to do that because I feared what would happen um, by going back into those traumatic events and really whirlpool of emotions. Um, I didn't know if I could uh, sort of build myself back up and uh, pick up the pieces left after the writing process. And then I started to write. Um, and then I realized that bringing a Bosnian Muslim story to life actually empowered me, it healed me, it liberated me in many ways. As a Bosnian um, Muslim, um, this is not just a book for me. It's not just a memoir. It is a voice I never had growing up as a Muslim girl. Um, I saw myself represented in the story in the way I was never represented in my old society. So the story helped me remember that and um, reminded me why I am who I am today, but also, and perhaps most importantly, reminded me that I will never be again a voiceless, silent, invisible Muslim girl. You have argued that that hate is um, the most powerful emotion, even more powerful than love. Um, there are a lot of people who think that love trumps hate, but if if hate is the more powerful emotion, with so much of it seeming to be part of our day-to-day -day lives in the U.S. today. Um, how do we overcome that? Um, I would say love is incredibly important, and, and it has played a key role um, in my life in overcoming um, a hatred. And, and um, I talk about different kinds of love that I experience. Um, during the war, um, but hatred is a very selfish and very powerful emotion that can make humans commit the kinds of crimes that we think are unimaginable, and that's the kind of emotion that I hope to warn against, um, and one way in which I think we can counter hatred is through diversifying the storytelling that happens in this country. We often censor what young adults uh, can or cannot read. And as my children say to me often, adults um, in school and beyond tiptoe around the real issues, but we are still exposed to them. So this story um, that I tell is a genuine uh, emotional um, account of my experience as a teen that I couldn't escape. No one asked me whether um, I wanted to live through genocide or not. And many teens today in America are not asked to whether they want to experience trauma or the violence or the loss as a consequence of discrimination or racism or any form of exclusion. Um, so I think we need to tell more of those kinds of stories. And I learned that storytelling is incredibly powerful. Uh, the first time when I was in the midst of the war, um, I was asked to become a teacher in the classroom. Um, I was only a teen, but because uh, many of our teachers were killed or injured, um, I became a teacher in an elementary and um, high school. And it was then that I realized that sharing stories that enable 
um, students to and young people to connect to emotionally creates collective empathy. And when we create collective empathy through um, storytelling, um, I think we can become a more socially cohesive nation, something that many people out there today find hard to imagine. But I do believe in that kind of um, America as, um, as a possibility in our future. How do you talk to people about the Islamophobia that has become so rampant in the United States over the last 20 years? Um, how, do you, how do you talk to your children about that? Um, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, sometimes being exposed to these difficult um, experiences is not really a matter of choice. And uh, my entire life has been dedicated as a Bosnian Muslim and genocide survivor to educating people on these issues. A few years back, I'm going to share something with you I haven't shared in, in um, other interviews, um, but I was threatened by a an alumni, um, a graduate of Columbia University, um, and told that I really shouldn't be a teacher as a, um, as a Muslim. And uh, this is someone who has never met me, who knew nothing about me aside from uh, the fact that I was a Muslim faculty member. And um, it was an unfortunate moment, but at the same time, for me, moments like this are teaching and learning opportunities. So. Um, aside of, uh, from obviously making sure um, that uh, Columbia is aware of what had happened and, and making sure that my students were safe um, and uh, that this threat was only directed at me, I went into my classroom that I, uh, and course that I teach on Islam and education and, in fact, radicalization to uh, use that uh, uh, expression of hate towards me um, to uh, dissect where that Islamophobia comes from. And I think we all have responsibility, shared responsibility to educate ourselves and educate um, others when those kinds of opportunities pre present themselves because uh, biases and stereotypes of any kind um, eventually can uh, lead to unwanted uh, violent outcomes that none of us want to experience in our lives. Were you somewhat surprised um, after getting settled into the U.S. Um, at at how pervasive the the racial divide between blacks and whites has been and continues to be? Um, yes, um, and I think this is where education plays a crucial role, um, and that's one of the reasons why. Um, I opted for career um, in education because I think it's important to interact with young people and um, counter those kinds of forms of racism that are so institutionalized and really built into the structures of, of this country. Um, but I am also an optimist. I'm extremely hopeful. And um, I think that vast majority of people out there are good uh, people who want the best things for their families, but also for their neighbors. And um, my hope is that the cat I never named um, evokes that kind of empathy 
and even if someone didn't experience discrimination themselves, that by reading my story, they forget about me as a Bosnian Muslim, but that they recognize the parallels that my story um, has and carries with um, the incidences of racism and hatred in this country. And that as a result, uh, those who read the story will be moved to make a difference. Um, just to share one um, uh, one email that I had received just yesterday, um, I have gotten an incredible feedback from anyone who has read the story um, so far. Um, often um, people will say, oh, I didn't know much about uh, Bosnia, but someone recommended the book, or I saw I really liked the title or the cover. I picked it up. I thought I would read few pages today and here I am it's three in the morning I finished the book and I had to write to you to tell you how it affected me but yesterday I got an email from an American soldier who was deployed in Bosnia who was deployed around the world um, and who opened up and said that he never cried as much as he did in reading my story and that he only wished um, he uh, read um, the cat I never named before he was deployed abroad. Um, so my hope is that we can resort to education through storytelling um, to uh, help this country recover and heal from racism that it carries in its history. Well, Amra, unfortunately we're out of time, but I, I want to say thank you for uh, sharing your story with me and my listeners, but also in, in the book The Cat I Never Named. And I have to ask you one last question. Do you and your kids have a cat? We don't. Um, <laughs> we don't. Uh, we have, and and there are really um, two reasons for it. One is very personal. I have one child that has severe allergies, and uh. we were um, in the process of um, doing, uh, we were waiting for her to be able to get shots, uh, immunization, uh, 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 sorry, allergy shots, on a regular basis uh, for her to be old enough and to be willing to do that so that we could have a cat and then pandemic hit and ah. so we are where we are um, but we do have a couple of uh, couple of fish right now and we're <laughs> enjoying them very much <laughs> well Amra thank you so much I've been really enjoying our conversation as uh, as serious as it is um, and, and uh, best of luck with the book thank you for spending this time with me Thank you, Tom, very much for your kind words and for having me as a guest. All right. Take care. That was uh, Amra Sabish El-Reyes, who is the author of a book called The Cat I Never Named, a true story of love, war, and survival, described as a coming-of-age memoir in the midst of genocide. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <laughs> Baby, this isolated life 
summerprogram.com. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490.
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner program.com. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, I worked as an accountant for a number of years in Chicago. Uh, And I had a kind of a strange uh, theory of accountancy. Uh, I had always felt, uh, you know, if you got within two or three bucks of it... But this never really caught on. (laughs) And as a consequence, I held a number of different accounting jobs, you see. And it seemed like whenever I would go with a company, uh, they would always be having a retirement party. And I found out one thing. They are all alike. Uh, Different people will retire. Different people make the speeches. But they all say the same tired old thing. I went to one in Chicago for a guy named Chuck Bedlow. He was an accountant, and he was retiring after 50 years. And first of all, Mr. Clayton got up. He was the president. He gave a little address. Then Mr. Tipton, the vice president, gave a little address. And finally, Bruce Higgins, the head of the accounting department, got up and gave a little address. And he was Mr. Trite. He used every cliché that had ever been used at a retirement party, uh, and he said things like this. Well, uh, uh, golly, I guess today's the day, isn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, it's really going to seem funny, though, uh, golly, walking in here Monday morning and, and not seeing, uh, not seeing uh, uh, Charlie's uh, smiling, happy face there at the desk. I, uh, I got to calling him smiling, easygoing Charlie. <laughs> and I guess most of us had some sort of nickname or other. We used to call him from time to time. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget a... Well, that, that too, yeah. Uh, I'll never forget a kind of amusing thing happened. Uh, I had just gotten out of college, and... Uh, now, what's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? I, I, Well, a a little wet behind the ears, I guess, might be the way to put it. (laughs) And I was made department head here. And uh, many's the night that Charlie and I used to uh, sort of uh, burn the midnight oil, so to speak. So let's really hear it now for a wonderful old guy. Uh... Uh, Charlie uh, Bredlow. Bedlow, Bedlow. Charlie? Well, uh, uh, thank, uh, thank you very much, Bruce. Golly, I've been uh, sitting here uh, listening to uh, Mr. Clayton and um, Miss, Mr. Tipton, and of course Bruce here, and through 
all of their species, one thought kept sort of recurring in my mind. I, uh, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I have never heard such dribble in all my life. <laughs> I, I don't suppose that it, it ever occurred to any of you that I had to get half stoned every morning <laughs> to make it down to this crummy job. <laughs> You'd, uh, you'd, you'd be smiling and easygoing if you were gassed all the time, too. <laughs> but you put in your 50 years, and they give you this crummy watch. <laughs> they, I try to, try to make a big deal out of it. It works out to about 28 cents a year. <laughs> but uh, ser seriously, if it hadn't been for the 50 bucks a week that I glommed out of petty cash, <laughs> well, I, I just uh, I couldn't have made it on the and a lousy salary they pay her. <laughs> oh, and then uh, someone started the rumor about Miss um, Wilson, the, uh, the cashier, and myself. <laughs> and everyone was running, if, uh, you know, when I retire, and uh, she gets back from her vacation in Florida, whether well, uh, we would get married, I suppose, and spend our declining years down there. Uh, she, she isn't coming back, by the way. <laughs> I understand that sweet old Miss Wilson is uh, into this company for about a hundred thousand bucks. <laughs> it's, it's a little deal that she's worked out. She either calls it uh, double payrolling or ghost payrolling or some, something having to do with payrolling. <laughs> I can never make heads or tails out of what she was talking about. Of course, she's uh, down in Mexico with a hundred thou. And I'm up here with this crummy watch. <laughs> So anything that I might say, I suppose, would be sour grapes. <laughs> One last thing. A lot of uh, people have asked me, Charlie, what are you going to do when you finally retire? Oh, are you going to get a little uh, part-time job in Florida or uh, just a lull around the beach? Or, in other words, what am I going to do? I have some tapes from some office parties.
that I'm, I'm going to let go for 1,500 bucks a copy. <laughs> now let me, let me take that back a minute. Uh, the June picnic may run 17.5. And with the money that I make off of the tapes and Ms. Wilson's under thou, I should uh, do pretty good. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. I remember the night mom was pounding on her drums. She called me to her side. She said, son, you're growing up. Pretty soon you're gonna drive. And daddy heard the commotion and came, came in tap dancing, playing his six string. And they both looked at me and they said, son, before you get behind the wheel of a car, you listen to me. If you're texting while you steer, don't drive. If you've been drinking beer, don't drive. If you're talking on the phone, don't drive. If your tires are bald and it's starting to snow. Don't drive. If your foot can't reach the pedal. Don't drive. If you're wearing no apparel. Don't drive. If you took an illegal prescription. Don't drive. And no one understands your addiction. Don't drive. Don't speed, don't read, don't breathe, don't tweet, don't shave, don't rave, don't wave, don't eat. And don't put no makeup on or shave. You know you're not supposed to do that. Gotta do something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and step on my blue suede shoes Ah, go ahead and scuff them up If you're driving with your knees Don't drive If while you roll you eat Don't drive If you don't know how to drive Don't drive If you've been psychedelicized Don't drive If you're kissing on your boo Kissing on you. Don't drive. If you've been drinking at a bar. Don't drive. If there's guns in the car. Don't drive. Don't groom, don't shave, don't tweeze, don't nurse, don't voice these things in your ears or rummage through your purse. Ugh. Don't do that. Huh. If you won't do something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and talk on my food, man, chew. Go ahead, I don't care. Watch me tear. If you feel like a nap. Don't try If there's a pooch on your lap. Oh, it's dangerous and creepy. If you're feeling really wired. If your license is expired. Don't you drive around the town. Something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and step on my blues way shoes Scuff them up Then go ahead and pull on my Fu Manchu yeah. If you want to do 
something. You want to do something that's good. If you're feeling like any of that stuff, don't drive. Make sure you got a clear head. Ow. Ugh. Hi, I'm Alexander Sanjay. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.